Hangover Podcast. My name is Andrew Alex. I am joined for the second time in under 24 hours by Mike McDaniel and Ricky LeBlue. What's going on, guys? I think in terms of dedication, we have got to be the most dedicated, given that we are doing this in the middle of the work day. Fortunately, I was able to get off work early. Um, but yeah, like you said, Andrew, this is the second time we've recorded a podcast in well under 24 hours, but duty calls. It's also the second time in a week in a week's time that we've recorded a midday podcast as well. Yes. So pretty good. It's uh, five podcasts in 10 days. Not bad. <laughs> Not bad at all. But we couldn't have this kind of production without the good folks over at Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg is the healthcare provider you want to go to if you want one that truly cares about you. Be a neighbor, not a number, and look no further than Main Street Pharmacy. Nikki Giovanni's personal friend, Dr. Jeremy Kautz, and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. All right, gentlemen, let's get started. Let's get it going. And it reminds me of a conversation we had over a year ago at this point, when I asked you gentlemen, who would you rather have? Hendon Hooker or Brendan Armstrong? It was quite the debate at the time, and both of them are looking much better now. But the question then almost, you know, taking the lesser of two evils the way that they were playing at the time, now they're both studs. And Brendan Armstrong, other than Kenny Pickett, might just be the best quarterback in the ACC. Mike, you follow the conference like no one else I know. How has Brandon Armstrong changed his game? How has he improved to go from a guy that went into 2020 sort of as an afterthought, someone that not many believed could claim the mantle that Bryce Perkins left there to a guy that has been extremely productive all year long? Uh, footwork, mostly, but he's also had receivers that have gotten healthier. Like, for example, Billy Kemp has been a weapon for UVA this year out of the slot. And Dontavian Wicks is stealing all the headlines because he's, he's an all ACC receiver that they have out there. He's, he's going to be first or second team, all ACC in all likelihood, but uh, Billy Kemp for the first time in his career has been healthy this year and he's real fast and he's electric in the slot and they've been able to use him in a way that they haven't in the past at the position because he's finally been able to stay on the field. But as far as Armstrong's concerned, I mean, he's just improved his accuracy because his footwork has been better and he's been better from the pocket. Um, last year, it was kind of like, I'm just going to run all around the field and just make plays with my legs, make plays with my arm outside the pocket. But he's making a lot of plays from inside the pocket this year, which is something he wasn't doing a year ago. I think it helped having a, a real off season that wasn't impacted by COVID. Um, another year in the system, another year in the program, and then having some of his primary receiving targets back, I think has really helped him too. I think the most wild thing about this offense is that a former quarterback leads this team in receptions. <laughs> like Keaton Thompson has been just far really much better as a receiver. Um than I think anyone expected. He kind of came to, to UVA as a quarterback, and then they quickly ushered him into the offensive weapon category. But Angie or Mike, you mentioned uh, 
Armstrong's significant improvement from the pocket, but I think it's still that off-script ability that sets him apart from so many different guys. Agree um, there. Yep. And in case anyone needed any evidence that uh, of, of Brandon Armstrong's value or importance, he misses the Notre Dame game and they score three points. <laughs> and yeah. Notre Dame's defense is good. Let's not let's not act like they're not, but the very next week UVA scores 38 on the road against Pitt, uh, which is a decent defense in their own right. So uh, Armstrong is certainly a, a fantastic quarterback. I would probably rate him third in the conference behind uh, Sam Howell, Kenny Pickett. Um, I think those two are probably a bit better, but Brandon Armstrong's growth is certainly undeniable. And, What's what's crazy for me is that I remember watching him when he first started once Bryce Perkins had moved on and he's just he's not even close to the same player like they're he's so much better. He's so far along in his development that, you know, he actually now has a legitimate chance to make a roster in the NFL, whereas, you know, a couple of years ago, that was just not going to happen. There was no way that was possible. Passing game is the name of the game when it comes to UVA success, but it's not just Armstrong. It's Keaton Thompson. It's Dontavion Wicks. It's Billy Kemp. And that can't be terribly encouraging coming off a game where Tyler Van Dyke, you know, played an excellent game from the quarterback position in the rain. The athletes were on the outside for Miami too. Virginia Tech's defensive backs, just did not play up to the standard that the fans and probably coaching staff expect them to. Is this matchup a true weak spot for Virginia Tech? It's a problem. Yeah, it's a problem. Um, and they have so many different weapons like Dontavion Wicks. Everybody talks about him because he's their deep play threat. He's averaging over 21 yards a catch. He's got over 1,100 yards receiving. He's leading the team in touchdown receptions with nine. So he's awesome. And But Keaton Thompson leads the team in receptions, like Ricky mentioned, a converted quarterback, and he's turned into an absolute weapon, probably even better than a lot of UVA fans anticipated when he came over from Mississippi State um, and kind of what he's turned into is this kind of all-around weapon. Billy Kemp, like I mentioned, he's finally healthy. He's second on the team in receptions. Rayshon Henry is a senior. He's got over 500 yards on the year. Jelani Woods, tight end, matchup nightmare. He's like six foot seven. He's fast. He's athletic. He opens up the middle of the field. We talked about Billy Kemp opening up the middle of the field and even Keaton Thompson as well, opening up the middle of the field. But when you got a six foot seven tight end and Jelani Woods, a guy who is really, really difficult to bring down and really athletic, it's hard, man. It's hard. And, and I think Tech's in for it defensively for sure, because there are a lot of matchups that if I'm Brennan Armstrong, I really like, and even if Jermaine Waller bounces back and, and plays well, like he has all year with the exception of last week, even if he bounces back in this game and plays a Jermaine Waller type game on Dontavion Wicks, for example, that's only one guy. Like they have five or six of them. And this is the same question. This is a very similar question we had of Virginia tech going into the North Carolina game in the opener. Right. The thing about this though, is that a lot of these receivers are proven and have done it before. And now we're in game 12 instead of game one. So this is just a situation where you're facing an offense in rhythm. Brendan Armstrong's back healthy. If he doesn't miss that Notre Dame game, 
Brandon Armstrong's probably in line for a 4,500-yard regular season. I mean, he's been really good. He's over 4,000 yards now after last week. We'll see what he does on Saturday against Tech. I mean, I hope he doesn't throw for 500 yards. If he does, Tech's, tech's going to lose. Uh, but, I mean, he, he's a guy who has been really, really good at quarterback, but his weapons have been so good around him too. And, and when you have five or six guys you can spread the ball out to, I mean, they have, they have five guys with over 500 yards receiving. I mean, that's, that's incredible production out of your receiving and tight ends room. So they're really difficult to stop through the air, not as difficult to stop on the ground. UVA has not run the ball well, really, at all under Bronco Mendenhall. Uh, and, and this team is no exception. They've kind uh, of given up trying to even trying to even establish a run game. They, it, it, yeah. It's not even in the calculus. No, they don't care. They'll just sling it. I mean, they'll just sling it around. And when you yeah. have a quarterback completing 65% of his passes thrown for 4,000 yards, yeah, I mean, I'd be slinging it around too. They're, they're going with the, the Carolina model to, to some degree. Carolina's a bit better at running the ball, but it's, it's very similar. This would be the kind of game where I think Tech probably should play most of their – most of their defensive formations with six defensive backs on the field. Um, I doesn't really matter who they are. Just don't put Dax and Alan Tisdale on the field at the same time, because I'm, I'm not sure that you're going to get any value out of that. Um, put as much athleticism on the field as possible to try and match up with the, with the offensive weapons that UVA has. Cause you know, Brennan Armstrong leads his team in rush attempts. Um, Wayne Talapapa has not developed any sort of consistent ground threat all season. Again, UVA has basically given up trying to even attempt a, a consistent running threat. So, and, and a lot of Brennan Armstrong's carries are just him scrambling right on a pass attempt. <laughs> right, right. Whereas, like, I mean, before... he's at, he, he's at 450 pass attempts this year. They've probably dropped back well over 500 times this year and you know some just are breakdowns and he scrambles so this is a this is a pass first pass second pass third offense and uh justin hamilton needs to adjust his defensive personnel accordingly and and the one thing i do want to add real quick just to kind of tie that together in regards to brand armstrong's rushing ability right now i understand he missed a game against notre dame but he ran the ball 126 times last year He's run it 89 times this year. So even if you put that Notre Dame game back in there and say he runs the ball five or 10 times on Saturday, 10 would be high in my opinion, but say he runs it like five or six times on Saturday, like he's still going to finish the regular season well below where he was a year ago by about 20, 25 carries I'd imagine. So, I, I mean, even with that, with that one game that he didn't play in against Notre Dame, like this offense has been different around him this year. It has, it, it's, it's been less designed runs. It's been less of him running for his life and scrambling. Now he still hurts you with his legs. That's where most of his production has come in the running game, but it's been less of like, let's just run Brandon Armstrong right up the middle, which is something UVA was doing a lot, especially early in the year last year before he got hurt. So looking at the, I mean, we, we just talked about the running game, right? And UVA poor running the ball. I mean, they have, like you said, they basically gave up. They have the least attempts in the ACC by like 50. But they're not good stopping the run either. Last in the ACC by a large margin. Pass defense-wise, they're a little better, middle of the pack there. But Virginia Tech's offensive explosions have all come against teams that can't stop the pass. It seems like those have been the games when Braxton Burmeister has been able to get going. 
given UVA's weakness in terms of stopping the run, do we expect to see a similar game plan? And maybe more importantly, do we expect to see more Connor Blumrick than Braxton Burmeister again? Um, Burmeister is still the better runner on the team. He's not as physical, but in terms of his ability to have explosive plays, Burmeister is the guy. And in week 12, you just got to go all the way out, right? Or I guess it's technically week 13. But in, in the last game of the year, you just got to let it go and see what happens. Um, I would certainly hope that Brad Cornelson's offensive game plan would be we're going to try and, and shorten the game. We're going to try and win the time of possession. And we're going to try and keep Brent Armstrong on the sideline. Um, that's Tech's best chance to win for sure. Tech is not going to score 40 points in this game. I don't think they yeah, – as bad as UVA's defense is, right. I don't think Tech is capable of scoring 40 points. Right. So, And UVA is perfectly capable of scoring 40 points. They've either hit that mark or fallen just short of that mark several times this year. So Tech needs to find a way to limit the possessions. Um, maybe they can force a, a turnover or two. Special teams would be a huge equalizer if they're able to get something out of that, either on the block team or the return team. Um, but the, the game plan needs to be centered around the run. I really hope that they don't just go quarterback power every play, which is what it felt like against Miami tech underutilized the hell out of the running backs in the Miami game. We did not see enough of Malachi Thomas did not see nearly enough of Raheem Blackshear. We did not see enough of King Keyshawn King. We came away from the Duke game thinking, okay, tech has three running backs who are hot. You know, Thomas got banged up early in the Duke game, so we didn't see him as much, but we all know what he's done over the last few weeks of the season. Why wouldn't you lean on those three guys and find ways to get them to ball and let them be the workhorse for your offense? Um, that's it's, uh, at least certainly seems what Tech should do in this game. I don't know if Cornelson's going to take advantage of that, but we'll see. We've only got to deal with this one more week anyway. That's true. That's <laughs> thank, thank God for that. If you can figure it out. Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> if they win and and Tech makes a bowl game, maybe Cornelson will get hired before the bowl game somewhere else, and then we can just have an interim OC because, quite frankly, I'm not interested in another Brad Cornelson coached game after this. Yeah, and whoever's not playing quarterback <laughs> between Burmeister and Blumrick can drop the plays in the sand on the <laughs> sideline. I'd be fine with that for the bowl game. You're going to have, like, Blumrick just holding up the sign and, and Burmeister, like, looking at the plays. And, I mean, I'd be I'd be Have, have Knox Kadem hold up the sign. They're not going to play him anyway. Yeah, and then let's put Blumrick, <laughs> and let's just do a preview of next year. Let's put Blumrick in the game with Burmeister. We'll put Blumrick at, like, H-back, which we haven't used. No, no, no. Back. They need to put Taj Bullock on the field. That's what they need to do. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, we know that's not happening. <laughs> we know that's, but yeah. I just assumed that wasn't going to happen. But, yes, I, I agree with that. All right, gentlemen, any other keys to victory? I mean, it's going to have to be the North Carolina game plan, right? Run the clock, limit possessions, hope your defense can come up big, hope your offense can do just enough. Yeah, it, it's it's a similar game plan to what they had in 2017 when Tech's offense was struggling mightily. That UVA offense was not nearly as good, right? The, the UVA offense has grown significantly over the last few seasons. So Tech's not going to hold UVA to three points. We all know that. Um, but in terms of the, the style of game, that's exactly what they're going to have to do. 
in order to get this win. They're not going to be able to win a shootout. And if they don't run the ball well, then Tech has no chance of winning this game. And also, they've got to just not get absolutely abused on the defensive end. If they can just give up 28, 30 points tops, they'll have a chance. But obviously, the lower that they can hold this UVA offense, the better. Be good over, under, over under 18 combined carries between Malachi Thomas and Raheem Blackshear. We didn't see it last week. It's going to have to be over. It's going to have to be over. I mean, it's like I'm not confident in the over, but it I'm certainly not needs to be over. It needs to be over. Tech, I, yeah, tech, I agree. Th- th- that number needs to be like 30. Right. If I, if if Tech's going to have a legitimate chance to win this game. Like I'm I'm fine with the number of passes being thrown at like 20 tops. Mm-hmm. I I would I would run I would try and run UVA into the ground and and play this game as slow as possible and make it boring and ugly and stupid and that's fine because if it gets you a dub that's all that matters. If you keep it under 50 offensive snaps but you're efficient with those 50 snaps, that's probably a pretty good path to victory for Virginia Tech. That's the number I would watch. And it's not like I'm not t- saying like 50 empty snaps. I'm saying, are you making the most out of, out of your 50 snaps, right? Can you sit on the ball, right? And, and be efficient and take advantage of your opportunities. And Think, take care of the ball. No more damn turnovers. And Tech had been good with that up until the last few weeks, you know? Yeah. Like Tech had been and, very and good And also the it. penalties. The, 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 this offense is not capable of playing behind the sticks. Right. No, no, exactly. Um, because the passing game is some weeks just totally non-existent. So it's, if you get behind the sticks, you're toast. So I think of the think of the Clemson game plan last year, which I mean, the three of us, I remember us getting on the recap pod and we were like, wow, that was refreshing. Like Tech's offense in the first half, you know, when Burmeister because Burmeister had to come in because Hooker had the yips or was cold or was having a medical issue. I still don't really know what happened there. I think but, it was a panic attack, is what yeah, it was having. But they but they took him off the field. And Burmeister came in and played fine. He played fine. But I remember Tech had limited possessions in that Clemson game. And I know there were a couple turnovers and they didn't necessarily take advantage of the low possession game. Like in order to win a game that way, you have to be really, really efficient when you get in the red zone and you have to score touchdowns instead of picking field goals when you bleed seven or eight minutes off the clock per possession. I remember Tech didn't do that last year, but we were really happy with the game plan because Clemson's offense was super explosive last year. And that's what UVA's offense is, right? It's very, it's very similar. It's different from Pittsburgh, right? So some people want to say, okay, well, just you know, go with, the, go with the Pittsburgh game plan offensively and just be a bit more efficient. Well, here, here's my thing with that. Pittsburgh can actually run the ball better than UVA. Pittsburgh's not a great running team by any stretch, but they can run it better than UVA. UVA is just going to air it out and score in a hurry. So it's, it's different. It's, it's more explosive through the air. They, they don't care about the running game. That's the difference. UVA does not care about running the football. They don't. Like, so really, really, really need to limit the possessions because it's very similar to how the Clemson offense looked last year where if you stop ETN, it's like, all right, well, Lawrence is just going to air it out all over the field because he's got receivers everywhere and he's a, you know, top draft pick and, you know, you know he's going to be really good. So you gotta, you got to limit possessions in this game for sure long way of saying that it needs to be over 25 combined carries. And if you get in that 25 to 30 range, I think it's perfect. You know, give one guy 15 carries, give another 12 or whatever. But I mean, you've got to give Blackshear the ball. I mean, he only had what three touches last week and two of them were in the passing game. I believe without having it in front of me, 
I mean, that's, that's inexcusable. The guy was ACC running back of the week the week before, and he got no carries. Like, what are, what are we doing? Just seems like an act of self-sabotage to me. I like <laughs> that's that. a great phrase. That is that's great absolutely phrase. what it was. Yep. <laughs> Couldn't say it better myself. I like I like the game plan. Is this kind of based on what we've seen Virginia Tech do before when they've been successful, or has there been any example this year of you know a low-powered offense taking on UVA and coming away with a victory? The Carolina game is the is the example I'm pointing to now that the issue is like. The issue is that the defense was playing so well then, right, in the opener. They played so well in the opener. And they had six sacks in that game. Remember when we thought we had a pass rush? It was great. Mike, Mike I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm asking you on the other side, like, not has Virginia Tech done it before? Because, yes, I know that's what Virginia Tech did to UNC. Has there been – is this how teams have beaten UVA? Because it seems to me like every time I see UVA with a loss – it's because they let up 60 points or something along so, those lines. So they gave up almost 50 to Pitt. Notre Dame was kind of an outlier because Armstrong didn't play, but Notre Dame kind of took took control of the game and just kind of kept UVA on the sidelines. Yeah, the, the 66-point loss to, to uh, BYU was just hilarious. I, I, I don't understand how you give up that many points. I mean, their defense is bad. Their defense is perfectly capable of giving up points. It's just a matter of, like, are you able to take advantage of that? And that's not something I'm, I'm comfortable with with Virginia Tech. Like, do I think the Hokies will score in this game? Yes, I do. Do I think they're going to score enough? No, <laughs> I don't. That's, that's, what's, that's the question here. The question is, can Virginia Tech's offense, no matter who the quarterback is, Womerick or Burmeister, can the offense produce enough points to offset whatever defense – Virginia Tech puts out on the field on Saturday because the defense has been Jekyll and Hyde now for basically the entire second half of the season. So we don't know what defense is going to show up and we know UVA's offense is good. Uh, Great. I mean, great. Even they're a top two unit in the conference. So can the Virginia Tech's offense take enough advantage of the possessions that they have and put enough points on the board to keep this thing competitive and allow your defense to a rest, but b get a stop or two and have that turn the game. Right. Because if you look at it on paper, the reason why UVA is only around a touchdown favorite or a little bit more is because their defense is horrible. Like they're, they're really bad on defense. So if you're able to, if you're able to make a stop or two, that would be huge. All right, gentlemen. Well, let's jump into our ACC picks here. Starting it off Friday night. North Carolina and NC State. NC State technically still alive in the ACC Atlantic race. They're six-point favorites hosting Sam Howell. Oh, man. Um, I'm going to go with NC State. I think – I just think they're the better team. Uh, I think they'll get enough stops defensively, and I just have – I have more confidence in NC State at this point, so – Give me the wolf pack here. Close game, though. Very close. NC State's probably the better coach team, and they have a bit more to play for. I know it's a rivalry game, but I'm not really sure that the Tar Heels are going to have much to play for, you know, in the dog minutes of the third quarter. So I'll take NC State. I think they can win by at least a, at least a touchdown. Yeah, I'm with you on that. One team coming off the end of a disappointing campaign. The other, I mean – you know, anything could happen between Wake Forest and Boston College and NC State. 
could still end up in that ACC championship game. I'll take the Wolfpack with the inspiration in that regard. Moving on to Saturday, this one's going to be lopsided. Georgia heads to Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech, a 35-point underdog. I'll take the Bulldogs. Lay them. Um, yeah, there's there's nothing in this matchup that makes me think that Georgia Tech can compete. So, give me Georgia. Lay them. Lay them with Georgia. Yep, I'm with you guys. The only way that Georgia doesn't cover this is if they pull the starters after the third quarter to save them for the Alabama game. Yep. From now, which they've probably been preparing for for a month, but nonetheless. Uh, Wake Forest and Boston College, we just talked about the stakes there. Wake, a five-point favorite on the road. Wake's got a rebound, right? Like, they've i don't know i I, i'm going with dave clausen i'm i'm a huge dave clausen stan everyone knows this at this point so i'm taking you but this is tough for me internally right because i've got dave clausen and jeff i was about to say coaching each other like yeah like uh, that's really difficult for me internally but i'll take dave clausen he's got the better roster wake bounces back yeah i'm with you i don't think dave clausen is gonna let this team uh, choke it all away all right, moving on. I really want him to get to 10 wins. I really want that. Moving on here, we got Florida State, who's actually had a pretty solid second half of the season after an abysmal start, traveling to newly Dan Mullenless, Florida, where the Gators are two-and-a-half-point favorites. Uh, give me Florida State. Florida State. Uh, Florida fired Mullen and – I like the way Florida State's been playing, too. Like, they've been rallying the second half of the year with Jordan Travis, the quarterback. So, give me the Knowles. Yeah, Mike Norvell finally uh, inspiring some confidence here in the second half of the year, too. I'm very against picking teams in chaos and dysfunction, so I am going to go with Florida State as well. All right, 730 ACC Network. Pitt heads to Syracuse. Pitt, a 13-point favorite. Hmm. Pitt doesn't have anything to play for, really, because um, they've already locked up the Coastal. But I'm still going to go with the Panthers to uh, to cover that, although it's Jiffy Pop, though, man. You never know. Yeah, Pitt's going to want to uh, – the only thing I can think of motivation to win this game is if you drop this game um, and then drop the ACC championship game, you're probably out of a New Year's Day game, right, or in a, like – a New Year's Six type game, maybe not yeah. like a huge bowl game. Uh, so, I mean, I think <clears throat> I think the bowl committee will be more apt to putting a ten win Pittsburgh team in a big time bowl game. I uh, wanted those New Year's Six, even if they don't win the ACC championship a week from now. So, uh, get give me long story short, give me Pitt. I, I think Syracuse will play better than they did last week, um, but. Give me, give me the Panthers to, to win probably around two touchdowns. Yeah, I'll take Syracuse in this one. More to play for. Dino Baber's job potentially on the line. They're playing for bowl eligibility. Sean Tucker's, in all likelihood, final game with the Orange. So, yeah, crazy things happen in the Dome, and it doesn't seem that crazy that they can keep this game within 13 points. Uh, moving on, big rivalry game and a potential big flex moment here for Shane Beamer. As Clemson travels to South Carolina, Clemson, an 11-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, it, this isn't quite war machine Clemson, but they're definitely getting better. 
So I'm going to roll with the Tigers. Um, I, yeah, I, I'm rolling with Clemson. I had a discussion on my ACC podcast with Joey uh, when we were doing our recap last weekend after South Carolina's win about how many points South Carolina would need to be getting for you to take Carolina against the spread. And it was funny because I said nine and a half. Joey said 13 and a half. The line came out at 11. It's now at 11 and a half splitting the difference. Give me South Carolina to cover, but this line is really, really good. I think Clemson wins. Obviously I think Clemson wins the game, but I think South Carolina does keep it competitive and I'm going to take, I'm going to take the game cost cover, man. I I'm going down that rabbit hole. Yeah, I don't know. South Carolina has been playing well. They got home field advantage. They certainly have, you know, the, I suppose, more incentive, more motivation in this game, trying to snap that in-state streak. But seeing what I saw against Wake Forest from Clemson, we know how good that defense is. The offense seems to be rolling a little bit more. I'm going to go with the Tigers to cover here. Kentucky travels to Louisville. Malik Cunningham and the Cardinals, three-point favorites. Not sure why Louisville's favored. I'm gonna take. Uh, I'm gonna take Kentucky. I go Same. with Louisville. I'm gonna go with Louisville. Actually, their offense has been really clicking uh, last few weeks. Um, I like Louisville close. I think they pull it off at home. I'll, I'll take them at home. Why not? Yeah, I'm gonna go with Kentucky here. Louisville. Uh, yeah, the offense is clicking, but again, I don't really understand why they're three point favorites. Eight and three Kentucky is pretty good. Uh, All right, last one. Commonwealth Cup, Virginia Tech, seven-point underdogs in Charlottesville fighting for – Oh, wait, wait. We got got one more. Miami-Duke. Anybody take Duke? Yeah, I was going to say – Anybody take Duke? Do we even have to – do we legally have to talk about that? Any any takers? We are are required to talk about this game because this game is just – like, no one's going to this game. Like, Duke fans aren't – they don't care – um Miami fans obviously don't care but um Miami's going to cover that spread and they're going to go 7 and 5. They're going to keep Manny Diaz uh which is amazing for Tech fans. Yeah, tune in at 12:30 on Saturday if you want to see Dave Cutcliffe's last game. So <laughs> Yep. Again, I've been saying it. Will Healy to Durham, but Miami will cover this. I mean, if you <laughs> if you think Duke can cover 21 points against anyone these days you haven't been paying the, attention. <laughs> the only the only argument for duke is that miami has gone into durham as a three touchdown favorite before in fact multiple times and they've lost outright so that's the only argument for duke but this duke team is especially if, bad if, if so. duke somehow wins this game diaz is gone right like yes, right off yes. like he's like, there's yeah. no chance yeah yeah no no he's gone he's but gone there's also no chance that duke wins this game no shot <laughs> <laughs> no shot zero zero chance that the other games i mentioned duke's teams were better like there's no no shot no shot duke hasn't covered 21 points since their third game of conference play like six weeks ago yeah so yeah yeah i'm pretty They're, confident in this one but who I knows mean, they've been progressive just progressively worse <laughs> that's fair that, that is fair all right commonwealth cup Virginia Tech, seven-point dogs at Scott Stadium. What do you think? I don't want to do this. I really don't. I'm going to do it, too. I spent the entire 
end of last week's pod, like just absolutely jacked on JC price energy. And now I get to sit here and pick UVA to win by more than a touchdown. Um, Tech just isn't good enough. They're just not good enough. You know, that this game might be closed for a quarter and a half or something like that. Or, um, you know, I don't think Tech gets absolutely railroaded by like, you know, four touchdowns or something like that. But Tech's not going to have enough juice to keep this close. So give me, give me the who's cup goes back to Charlottesville. We all get to be pissed off for another reason for like what six seven months yeah i'm gonna go with uva as well uh i mean the only rationale i have for virginia tech keeping this game close is low possession high efficiency but virginia tech's offense has not been efficient and the only argument that anybody is making right now for virginia tech to cover the spread is that oh well they've beaten virginia 15 out of 16 it's like (laughs) Yeah, they have, but like this UVA team is just a lot better. So, yeah, the, give me give me UVA. I'm gonna say like 34-17. I don't think it's particularly competitive. I, I'm I'm with Rick. Like I think it'll be competitive for a little while, but I think UVA in the second half is just too much. Yeah, Mike, the path to victory for Virginia Tech that you said is absolutely on the money, but I feel like that's been the path to victory for all year. Five of Virginia Tech's six losses, and they couldn't get it done. Yep. And UVA probably has the best offense of any of the teams that we've lost to. Maybe you could make an argument for Pittsburgh. Nonetheless, I don't see it happening. I'm going to say 45 28 UVA, and that almost feels sort of potentially generous. (laughs) I will say this. I will say this, if Tech wins this game and both these schools go 6-6, six and six, is that not an indictment on UVA as a program? It changes the narrative a little bit on Bronco. Yeah. 12-11 over the last two years. Just the, media, the, the media in-state has been quick to anoint him as like on the right track, and this program is one game above 500 going into the last game of the season. Like – I don't know, man. I, I'm not. I'm not really buying the the Bronco hype train. I, I still think they win this game, but it, it, if Tech goes six and six, and UVA goes six and six, and Tech's firing their head coach, and UVA's out here praising theirs, what does that say about that program? Little brother. You know, basically, everything we've believed about them over the course of the last <laughs> little brother, <laughs> little brother. <laughs> brother all right gentlemen final thoughts thanksgiving week is upon us yeah um eat eat plenty of food but don't kill yourselves um one last thing really quick remember in 2016 virginia tech absolutely blasted the doors off of uva inside lane stadium and i remember the narrative after that game which a narrative that i bought into was that this was no longer a rivalry right uh, fast forward a few years later, and one head coach seems firmly cemented in his spot. The other one is already out the door. And who'd have thought that it would actually be Justin Fuente on his ass and Bronco Mendenhall cemented inside his head coaching office at UVA after that 2016 game? It's crazy how things have changed. Fair point. Mike, yep. any last words? Happy Thanksgiving. Great review, subscribe. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving, too. Damn it. <laughs>
Yep. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Make the Things check are out. about to get really weird. Yeah, make the trip out to Charlottesville one way or another. After this game, y'all. So once this game's over, you're going to see people in the portal. There's already been someone jumping in. Darrell Bailey's in the portal. Um, so just wait until the game's over. You're going to see a lot of crazy stuff flying around. So buckle up your pants. Yep, we'll have a fun week of podcasts next week. You know, we didn't even really get too deeply into the upcoming basketball schedule, but it's going to be plenty of fun basketball to be played. Hopefully Virginia Tech can uh, make a statement in that regard too. Enjoy the game. Enjoy Thanksgiving. Until we talk to you next week, as always, go Hokies. (laughs) 